Now you talk about terror. Welcome to another podcast from the Chris Hedges Report. What about me? I'm Chris Hedges, and you can find more of my work at chrishedges.substack.com. Shama Sawan, a socialist who served for over a decade on the Seattle City Council, has announced she will not seek re-election. Instead, she will launch a national coalition called Workers Strike Back this March in cities around the country. This coalition will organize for a $25 an hour minimum wage, build grassroots labor unions and corporations such as Amazon, and advocate for a shorter work week without a cut in benefits and pay. It will also employ strikes when its demands are not met. It will work to build a massive green jobs program that can employ millions of workers in clean energy and prevent climate catastrophe, along with public ownership of the big energy corporations. Only the bosses profit from divisions among the working class, she notes. Workers' strike back will be a united, multiracial, multigendered movement of working people. It will battle anti-trans legislation and stand against all right-wing attacks on LGBTQ plus people. It will organize to win legal, safe, free abortions for all who need them. It will campaign to end racist policing, putting police under the control of democratically elected community boards with full power over department policy, hiring, and firing. Her new labor organization calls for rent control with no rent increases above inflation, as well as a massive expansion of publicly owned, high-quality, affordable housing by taxing the rich. We're dying from unaffordable health care, she notes, as the pharma bosses and for-profit health insurance industry makes money from our sicknesses. She and workers strike back will call for free state-of-the-art Medicare for all, owned and democratically run by working people. The Democrats and Republicans both answer to the billionaire class. That's why working people, she writes, keep getting screwed. Even so-called progressives in Congress, she notes, have completely failed to fight against the establishment and offer no solutions. The elected leadership of workers strike back will accept only the average worker's wage, as she did when she was a member of the city council. Sawan, in her decade as a member of the Seattle City Council, has had an impressive track record. She helped win a $15 minimum wage for Seattle workers, pushed the council to tax Amazon, and championed renter protection as the chair of the Renters and Sustainability Committee. She joined the Socialist Alternative Party in 2006 and since then has helped organize demonstrations for marriage equality, participated in the movement to end the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and was involved in the Occupy movement. She is an active member in the American Federation of Teachers Local 1789, fighting against budget cuts and tuition hikes. Joining me to discuss the launch of Workers Strike Back is Shama Sawant. So let's begin with your tenure at the city council. I listed some of the achievements you and Socialist Alternative managed against fierce opposition and 
including an attempt, a recall attempt to remove you from the council, uh, what you managed to achieve. Um, why this break with, with local politics? Why this shift? As you recounted yourself, Chris, we have, in the near decade that I've been on the city council, we, meaning Socialist Alternative and I, have demonstrated a phenomenal example of what can be achieved when you have an elected representative office that is unflinchingly tied to building movements of working people and the marginalized and the oppressed and understands that as a representative of working people, your job is not to make deals with the democratic or republican establishments, not to make friends with your supposed colleagues on uh, in the halls of power, but instead that your loyalty lies with the people who suffer under the system of capitalism and through the policies of the parties of big business. And we have won numerous victories, as you were also talking about. We feel that at this point, after a decade on the city council, it is important for us to share the lessons of how we have won this and what it took to win these, what it took to overcome the dogged opposition of the ruling class, of the wealthy, of corporate landlords, of billionaires like Jeff Bezos, to take this message of a fighting strategy, how to build fighting movements to win victories for working people. We believe that it's time to take this message national. And as you also importantly noted, we don't have this kind of fighting politics uh, virtually anywhere in the United States. And it's unfortunate. And especially what's striking is, is the absence of any fighting left politics in U.S. Congress. And that's happening in the midst of a historic cost of living crisis. Many young people have only known economic insecurity, low wages, unaffordable housing that gets more unaffordable every time the landlord jacks up rent. And in, and the statistics are just damning because, you know, the, to, to see how the bottom has fallen from under work, working people's lives. I mean, throughout the pandemic and its aftermath, working people have lost trillions of dollars worth of, um, you know, what, what's, what's the, what's the, what, what's, what was with them, not only in terms of the recessionary effects of loss of jobs, but overall costs that they're going to pay. But it's not happening in a neutral world. At the same time, billionaires have added trillions of dollars to their fortunes during the same period of the pandemic. So it really reveals how capitalism is a zero-sum game. You know, the wealthy are becoming wealthier, not because they have high IQs or because they're creative, but because they're siphoning off wealth from the vast majority of workers. And workers, that's why, are falling further and further behind. This has resulted in huge anger among workers. And at the same time, what is conspicuously missing by its absence is genuine left leadership, as I was saying before, and as you were saying as well. And that's why... We are launching this nationwide movement, Workers Strike Back. Really, it should be the labor leadership and the leadership of the labor movement that's launching this, just like enough is enough in the UK. However, that's not happened and we can't, you know, hold our breath that they're going to do it. That's why Workers Strike Back is being launched. And uh, as you correctly said, you know, we are raising the demands of a real raise for workers like $25 an hour, good union jo jobs for all. We're also continuing to fight racism, sexism, and all oppression. And uh, again, as you said, free healthcare for all and quality affordable housing. And bottom line, this is very important. If we are to build a real force on the left for the working class that whose leadership does not sell out, 
we need a new party for the working class where the rank and file of the party can hold its leadership accountable. Is the idea to build a militant labor movement and out of that build a political party? I think that that has to, I mean, I, I don't know if it, it will, we can lay out a sort of blueprint schematic of the chronology of how it will happen. But absolutely, what you're indicating is uh, very true, which is that the two things are going to go together. In other words, we are not going to get a new party of a working class other uh, outside of building a rank and file militancy in the labor movement as well. I mean, that those two things are, are going to go hand in hand. And uh, and at the same time, it's not only about the labor movement as it is today, because we also have to remember that the vast majority of young people, young workers, where there's the most, that the, the, the strongest support for the politics we are bringing forward, most of them are not unionized. So Workers Strike Back understands that, you know, we obviously want to specifically and consciously orient towards the rank and file today who are already within the labor movement, but at the same time also uh, begin helping to mobilize and organize the unorganized. And you mentioned Amazon. Absolutely, Amazon is a crucial, crucial battleground. Right now, actually, Socialist Alternative, my organization, and also Workers Strike Back, the national movement we're launching, we're already in solidarity with a campaign that Socialist Alternative is leading in Kentucky, the largest air hub of Amazon in the world, which is located in Kentucky near Cincinnati Airport, that uh, we, we are carrying out a union drive there. This is extremely important because, you know, this is one of the joke points of the capitalist class. And so all of this has to go hand in hand with building the efforts to build a new party. And, and one other thing I'll add here is, and the reason also why these two things are so deeply interconnected is that one of the key obstacles to building a new party for the working class to actually have fighting politics that represent the interests of the working class as opposed to those of the billionaires is that the majority of the labor leadership has been and continues to be tied at the hip to the democratic establishment. And that, as that again, that is not uh, coincidentally existing on its own. That goes hand in hand with the primary strategy of this same labor leadership being of business unionism, which is trying to make peace with the bosses. So keep trying to make peace with the bosses goes hand in hand with trying to make the peace, uh, keep the peace with the Democratic and Republican establishment as well. And so we need a real break from all of this towards rank and file militancy, whether it's unionized or not. Well, you look at the rise of the Swedish socialist state, which the capitalist class managed finally to dismantle, but it was built through strikes, a series of strikes, very high, I think over 70% of the Swedish workforce uh, was unionized and uh, uh, they use that power to paralyze the country and get what they want. I'm looking at your movement essentially as uh, embracing that tactic, that understanding that the only real weapon we have is no longer at the ballot box uh, with the two-party corporate duopoly, which blocks, I worked for Nader, as you know, blocks uh, any attempt by third parties to build a viable movement, but by mobilizing the working class to cripple the billionaire class through strikes. Is that essentially where where you would like us to go? Absolutely correct. I could not agree more with what you said. In fact, for worker strike back and for 
uh, building any kind of movement towards concrete victories for the working class, that for, for any of that agenda, the using the working class weapon of going on strike has to be an integral component. Without that, it's not going to work. And in fact, this very much strike goes into the heart of the problem with business unionism as, as well and why these ideas are ultimately not only problematic, but actually rotten in, in the sense that they uh, negate a very basic reality under capitalism, which is that the interests of the billionaire class, the bosses, the major shareholders, the corporate executives, their interests are diametrically opposed to the interests of workers. So when you have a majority of labor leadership that is married to the idea of business unionism, then you have a leadership for the most that for the most part does not, I mean, it's not unconscious. They consciously refuse to mobilize, activate their rank and file members because their whole idea, the whole idea of business, business unionism is that the tops of the labor leadership will like quietly negotiate contract with the bosses. Unfortunately, we've seen the history. Often these are filled with defeats for workers, you know, setbacks for workers rather than what we feel should be, which is class struggle unionism, which is actively organizing the rank and file and not only just organizing them in general, but organizing for powerful and successful strike actions because we class struggle unionism recognizes that the bosses will never concede anything unless they are forced to because their profits and their position of power and the system of capitalism itself, all of this is directly derived from underpaying workers, from stealing the value of the labor that workers produce. And so the one of the hallmarks of business unionism is preventing strike actions at all costs. Business unionists put their stress on the so-called bargaining process and because they fear antagonizing management by any real mobilization of workers, much less going on strike. In fact, you see, often what you see is the majority of the labor leadership even refusing to carry out militant protest actions, much less go on strike. And in fact, uh, not only is it going to be important in general going on strike, but already, you know, as the Guardian newspaper reported uh, on just this past Sunday, that the bosses at corporations like Amazon, it's not like they're asleep at the wheel. They know what they know the anger in society. They know that unionizing drives are starting to pick up. They know that young workers are especially angry. So what they are doing is, you know, they're they're countering, they're beginning to counter all of that with fierce old school anti-union or union busting measures. So how will we push back against any of this successfully? It will not happen through business unionist strategy. It will require a class struggle approach, which is, as I said, rooted in the recognition that uh, workers have to fight against the capitalist class's interests, not engage in the futile idea of morally persuading or wanting to morally persuade the boss because they're not, they're not going to be persuaded. You know, the reason we won the Amazon tax or the $15 minimum wage or the series of renters' rights that we won is not because we made uh, moral arguments to the ruling class, the Chamber of Commerce or Jeff Bezos. No, they fought tooth and nail against each such movement. Corporate landlords were absolutely against what we were calling for, but we won because we organized rank and file workers, renters, to go up against the might of the billionaire class. So it recognizes, you know, class struggle unionism recognizes that worker power does not reside in the bargaining room, but outside it, in the workplaces and on the streets. And as you said, 
throughout history, not only Europe, obviously in Europe, the labor movement trajectory was much stronger historically than in the United States. But even in the United States, there, there was a proud militant, you know, American made worker tradition of militant strike action. And in fact, the New Deal and the creation of the, the measure of material standards of living that the middle class did get, that came not because of FDR's beneficence, but because of militant strikes, general strikes, uh, including in Minneapolis. I mean, these are historic earth-shattering events that changed the course of history. But that happened because there were Marxist socialists and other uh, courageous leaders of the left who understood that we have to have this fighting strategy. And today, concretely, we need this strategy to unionize Amazon and other prominent workplaces like that. And also coming up, the UPS contract is up for renewal. The contract of the longshore workers on the West Coast, you know, all the way from Washington to uh, Southern California, they are, they are up for renewal. These are, alongside the Amazon Air Hub, these are strategic choke points for the capitalist class. So it is really crucial that we start educating, have, have active discussion and debates inside the labor movement and outside it to discuss how do we shut down the corporate money-making machine of capitalism and win over the wider working class for the strike actions and really win some real victories and, and, and just really raise the consciousness, the political education of the working class. Let's talk about the Democratic Party. Biden calls himself a pro-labor president. Maybe you can mention what happened to the freight rail workers. Uh, but the Democratic Party... Uh, essentially works uh, hand in glove with the corporate community to to prevent labor unions uh, and most of all to prevent strikes. That's what they did with the freight rail unions, which uh, actually one of the few groups of workers that retain the right to collective bargaining. The Biden administration took it away. Yes, it was a deeply shameful moment for President Biden and all the Democrats in Congress who went along with it to uh, carry out, as you said, a historically shameful strike-breaking action by breaking the railroad worker strike. And in fact, to keep in mind how uh, it's almost Dickensian, this this situation that was faced, you know, you on the one hand, you have billionaires like Warren Buffett, you know, who are the main owners of the railroad freight railroads, these are the railroad bosses. And on the other hand, you have railroad workers who are facing very dangerous working con- conditions, even facing loss of life, injury, repeated cases of injury. And what were they demanding? Just basic paid sick leave. And here in the 21st century, in the wealthiest country in the history of humanity, these workers are having to fight for these basic needs. And what you saw was the complete betrayal by this so-called pro-labor president. But we have to be clear. I mean, if we are going to be clear about the Democratic Party, then we also have to call out the role played by the so-called progressives. I mean, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, so-called progressive, as I call them, the Congressional Progressive Caucus of the Democratic Party in, in U.S. Congress is is a hundred strong. The chair of that caucus is Pramila Jayapal, again, another so-called progressive. And then you have all these members of the so-called squad who were elected with these high expectations that they will show courage in the face of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and all the power brokers on behalf of Wall Street. 
And what you have seen again and again is repeated betrayals of working people. The, re- the betrayal of the railroad workers and the breaking of their strike obviously was one of the most, one of the starkest moments that I think really crystallized for millions of people. And obviously I know I am aware that there are many uh, well-meaning people who still may have illusions, but it's our duty to clarify to them that, look, this is what happened. And we cannot just keep, keep the, you know, keep thinking that at some point, somewhere, something is going to change. And finally, the progressive, the Democratic Party will do something for working people. But, you know, because they're not, we're seeing repeatedly betrayals from them. And now we're seeing the brutal consequences from the Democrats siding with the railroad tycoons. I mean, we're seeing this apocalyptic scenario unfolding in East Palestine, Ohio. And, um, you know, and so the only way we can come out of this a really tragic situation, not only in East Palestine, but, you know, all the living standards that have stagnated and slid back for the majority of American working class, uh, a non-starter for us to change anything is if we continue putting our faith in the Democratic Party. And there's another very dangerous component for um, the left failing to build a new party for the working class and the Democrats continuing to sell out working people is that the threat of the uh, growth of right populism is still hanging in the air because, you know, workers are angry. They're going to be looking for alternatives. And in the absence of a genuine left alternative, they are going to end up getting scapegoated by right populism. You know, in fact, uh, in the wake of the sellout by Biden, some railroad workers you know, so feel like, well, you know what? Um, I'm going to just maybe end up voting for Trump next time because what else is there for me to do? And Trump came to power in the first place because there was such massive anger against the betrayals by both the Democratic and Republican Party. And, you know, unfortunately, Trump ran. I mean, he's, he was a con man through and through. You know, he's a he's a member of the billionaire class. But he ran uh, by with this idea, you know, the, the false idea that he was going to represent ordinary people. Uh, but obviously he didn't. Uh, and uh, but the threat of Trumpism and right populism far from gone is actually growing. And then the other thing I think to note is how uh, when when we were calling when the when uh, sections of the left and socialist alternative and you and others were calling for force the vote, the squad members like AOC said, you know, you can't do that. And now we are seeing the right most and the most some of the most dangerous right wing Republicans like the Freedom Caucus not to mention the MAGA squad within the Freedom Caucus, they showed that forced the vote can be done, except they showed it from the right. And I have to say, it's really just terrible that in response to the left uh, asking, you know, ordinary people asking, well, the right wing showed how to do force the vote. What, 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 what stopped you from doing force the vote for Medicare for all? Uh, unfortunately, AOC's response was that we can't do that because it will cause relational harm. And actually, I think that was a rare moment of political honesty because what she really means, and this is true, what she means is that it is relational harm, meaning if your priority is to keep cozy relationships with Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden, then you're not going to fight for working people because that will cause conflict between you and people like Pelosi and Biden. You will become public enemy number one to them. But that is what is needed. We need leaders on the left for working people who have the courage to become public enemy number one of the ruling class and understand that actually that is necessary in order to fight for working people. I just want to throw in that part of the contract negotiations for the freight railroad workers was addressing the lack of 
safety that the, the, they warned precisely uh, that because they had fo- downsized or fired so many workers and reduced uh, crews to skeletal uh, levels – uh, and then we're also not uh, instituting even basic safety reforms. They completely predicted this uh, horrific uh, chemical spill we've seen in Ohio. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're totally right, Chris, that, you know, the demands of the railroad workers were connected with the actual conditions. And it, this was a completely predictable and avoidable um, catastrophe that has happened in East Palestine, Ohio. And in fact, you know, we many of your uh, viewers might know already that these freight magnates, the billionaires, they, uh, you know, their agenda is to expand profits, obviously. So they introduced what uh, a concept that they call precision scheduled railroading. I mean, it sounds something sophisticated, but that's just, you know, precision scheduled railroading or PSR is just corporate speak for let's make everything as crappy as we can get away with for railroad workers and working class people as a whole and take the maximum loot for the billionaires the major shareholders and the top executives. Basically, what it meant was making trains the trains longer, reducing the staff, scrapping safety inspections, and lobbying the government to whittle down regulation. This is what's happened. And in fact, that's why it's important also just to highlight how we want to use workers' strike back as a nationwide movement uh, to uh, raise the consciousness of working people and also start building an alternative to the corporate parties is Uh, that we are now launching a new petition, hopefully in collaboration with uh, left railroad union leaders and other progressive labor unions, which is uh, a petition that where the demands are that we need to bring railroads into democratic public ownership because the East Palestine development and also what happened with the strike breaking shows that we need to eliminate the profit motive from the railroads altogether because it's only when it is owned publicly by workers that we will be able to ensure safety measures and stop these preventable tragedies and not further enrich the billionaires through stock buybacks. This petition uh, in response to the railroad crisis is also calling for free health care for all. Obviously, this is an overall demand that the Democrats and Republicans, I mean, or rank and file Democrat and Republican voters agree with. Uh, but most immediately, obviously, we know that East Palestine residents w- will likely suffer serious and even deadly health conditions from this toxic disaster. And we know that the railroad tycoons are attempting to evade any liability. So we need, as you said before, free state of the art Medicare for all publicly owned and democratically run by working people. And of course, it, again, fundamentally, all of this is also still tied to the need for a new working class party. Let's talk about strategy. So uh, only about 11 percent of the U.S. workforce is unionized. Uh, I think it's about 6 percent are in the public sector, like the freight railroad workers by law, uh, essentially can be blocked from carrying out strikes. The billionaire class itself has pushed through a series of measures going all the way back to the 1947 Taft-Harley Act uh, that makes it difficult to strike, but right-to-work laws uh, very sophisticated union busting uh, uh, units in large corporations like Amazon, Starbucks, uh, Walmart. Uh, so let, let's talk about where we're starting from and, and what has to be done. Yes, your point is very well taken. If you look at the proportion of workers who are unionized, it's un- 
you know, abysmally small. You know, these are both historical failures by labor leadership and also the fact that there has been a real concerted attack against the labor movement in the last 50 years, starting from the neoliberal era. Uh, and so the reality is that the majority of young people are not in unions. And at the same time, the popularity of unions among young people is historically high. So uh, we have to be very clear. If we are going to be building a, a national movement like Workers Strike Back, then it's not only for people who are today members of the labor movement. It is for also for young people and other workers who are trying to organize a union in the workplace, but they don't have a union. And it is for all working people who want to get organized to fight back, whether it is on and not and not just uh, on workplace issues. It's also whether it is a housing struggle for rent control or it is a struggle against oppression. You mentioned trans rights. In fact, just last week, actually last Tuesday, uh, our office alongside Socialist Alternative and many South Asian activists and also union members, we were able to win the nations and in fact, the world's first outside South Asia, the world's first ban on caste discrimination. You know, caste oppression is one type of oppression and we have to tie the struggles of workers related to workplace issues to these other struggles as well, because the cost of living crisis and the crisis around discrimination and oppression affects all of us in the working class. So we need to build a united movement of that kind. And at the same time, we also want to keep in mind that uh, that the struggles inside the labor movement also, of even, even though at this moment, encompass a minority of workers, if we can build rank and file militancy within some crucial unions, sectors of unions and sectors of work industry, and win some, uh, you know, outsized victories through powerful strike action, and I don't mean to in any way inadvertently suggest that it's going to be easy. This is going to be a real struggle, and we are going to be going, we're going to have to go head to head against the rotten business unionist ideas inside the labor movement. Uh, and there will, there will need to be a very patient political education also being carried out because many workers are not familiar with labor history. So we have to, uh, very, uh, have respectful debate and discussion inside labor. So this is, this is an, this is going to be a difficult process, but a necessary process. But the, but the point I'm getting at is that if we, uh, can get to a point where we can build major strike action in some crucial sectors of industry, and when outsized victories through that process, then that will have, again, uh, you know, as we say, it will punch above its weight. You know, the effect it will have will boomerang throughout, throughout, boom throughout the um, working class and especially young people will pay attention to it. And that is why it's important for us to both keep in mind that there are non-workplace issues that where struggles will break out like Black Lives Matter. And at the same time, there are very strategic workplace situations that we have to pay attention to. That's why I was mentioning also UPS. I think that is uh, upcoming. That's the most urgent um, dialogue that we need with UPS rank and file. So talk a little bit about how it's going to work. Are you going to try and build chapters in various cities? Well, what's the what are you going to do? Yeah, we do want to build chapters in various cities. And um, undoubtedly, it, it will need to have uh, people who are watching shows like this one to contact us and let us know that they would like to do it. For the uh, beginning process, 
we in socialist alternative, we are launching a worker strike back in various cities. In Seattle, for example, on Saturday, March 4th will be our official launch. You're going to be part of that, obviously, Chris, and some uh, other leaders, you know, including leaders in left labor. And so the launch is going to be on, as I said, Saturday, March 4th at 12 noon Pacific time at the University of Washington. If you're watching this and you are in Seattle, you should definitely join us. And regardless of where you are, if you find this message exciting, please look us up on workersstrikeback.org and get in touch with us. And, and just to give you a sense of uh, where we, what we've already done, as I said, you know, we fought for this caste legislation. We also are launching, as I said, this petition in solidarity with railroad workers and with the people in East Palestine. Uh, but aside from that, we are also um, helping build this uh, union, uh, union drive at the largest Amazon Air Hub, uh, which I mentioned before. And then uh, we are also helping to organize a network of uh, undergraduate support for unionized graduate students at Temple University in Philadelphia who are fighting for a living wage. We picketed alongside American Airlines employees demanding a fair contract. We've stood with nurses calling for safe staffing. We joined over 200 union journalists in a walkout against retaliatory firings at NBC. And so all of this shows that uh, these early initiatives show that uh, we can build a real solidarity in action and class struggle. And so I really hope that thousands, tens of thousands of workers and young people take up the mantle of workers, strike back and build branches in various cities across the country. That was Shama Sawant on her new organization, Workers Strike Back. I want to thank the Real News Network and its production team, Cameron Granadino, Adam Coley, David Hebden, and Kayla Rivera. You can find me at chrisedges.substack.com. 